0: Hello my friends, today Joel is talking to Shree, CTO of PayPal. This episode was recorded as a part of the 2022 Virtual ELC Summit, and they discuss skill sets, tool sets, and mindsets in the context of leadership, and how to develop a strong pipeline of leaders in your organization. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. is the Modern CTO Podcast. So I was just curious, um, could you catch me up a little bit on what's been going on the past year for you?
1: Oh, there's uh, quite a lot that's been going on. Second year of the pandemic, that doesn't mean it got any easier. So people were the top priority in terms of making sure that everyone was still managing balance, productive at the same time towards all the goals that we have but at the same time you know connect just listen to people see what's top of their mind and make sure that as an organization that we were helping them maintain not just a, a balance between work and life but also uh, just mental health and things of that nature so they could they could continue to um, uh, work through the pandemic and be productive and satisfied While still having a a good, good life as we were all coming back into some kind of back to work.
0: Yeah. And it looks like you're still in San Francisco. That that room looks familiar.
1: Yeah. I'm uh, still in the Bay Area. A lot going on in the Bay Area, of course, as always. It's the, it's the peak of activity.
0: And then last time we talked, you were doing some 3D printing, I think with your son. Are you guys still playing around with toys over there? Yeah,
1: tinkering is always a thing. You know, I'm a geek. Uh, That's who I am at the core, whether it is writing some uh, small code to test out new things or playing around with a little bit of hardware. My son and I replaced all of the switches at home to uh, home automation switches. So we can now control it from wherever we are and uh, sometimes spook out the rest of the family members.
0: (laughs) <laughs> that sounds fun. We're just, um, we're doing some remodeling now. Since we talked, I moved from Florida to Tennessee, and we wow. bought like a small um, five acre farm. And so now we went from like, uh, you know, very dense populated area to just out in the middle of nowhere. And yet they have like gigabit internet speeds. <laughs> So we got, I know we got lucky.
1: You know, five acres that almost seems like for those of us in California, that seems like a whole state for yourself.
0: (laughs) It's the state of Joel. Yes, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So to talk about some technology, leadership, engineering topics, I want to touch briefly on skill sets, tool sets, mindsets. That's a lot. That's three different things. I was hoping you could give me just like a general overview of what those things are.
1: Absolutely. You know, uh, I talk about transformations all the time. Any organization, any leader is dealing with a lot of change in the ecosystem. That change may be coming from what the customers want. That change may be coming from how the competition is evolving. Sometimes it may come from the needs of compliance because regulators are evolving as well. So there's a lot of change in the ecosystem. The pandemic was yet another change that everybody had to deal with. So, every organization is in a continuous state of transformation. Now, what I say is when leaders lead transformation, they had to make sure that they take into consideration all three, a shift in mindset, a shift in skill sets, and a shift in the tool sets. And you have to start in that order. If you start by just introducing a new technology or a tool into the ecosystem, don't expect the change to last. Because people don't understand what happened. They can't associate with just something like a technology or a tool. You start with the mindset. And in starting with the mindset, it's about starting with the why. It's about figuring out what is the reason we are going to go make this change? Why will it help? Things of that nature. And you also need to get into a mind frame of believing that why is a real problem to solve, something that becomes a purpose for an organization and then you get alignment. That's the reason I start with mindset. Mindset shifts have to occur first. If you want changes, that will last a long time. Then you want to make sure that you're picking the right tools. And in picking the right tools, you should go through a thorough process of evaluation. And by tools, I mean the full landscape of all technology. This could be a new library, it could be a new platform, it could be a new cloud provider, it could literally be a smart tool on your desktop, whatever it may be. Every every company is a landscape of hundreds of pieces of technology. So picking that right technology should be based on a right process, and we can talk about the process later if you want. But coming out of that would be the best choice you can make as an organization. Now, of course, you know the why for the change, You have the right mindset and the attitude to approach it. You have the right tool. Now you need to ensure that people in the organization are trained and upskilled and they have the awareness of what this tool can do. They also have the awareness, of course, of what the problem statement is. When you take this combination together, you're creating long-lasting transformations in technology. That's the mindset, tool set, skill set framework. Starting with the mindset, picking the right tool set and then making sure that the organization has the right skill set.
0: Okay, I want to focus on mindset for a second. So let's say we've got some engineering leaders, they're listening in, they're like, all right, that sounds good, alignment, mindset. But can you bring bring that home, something a little more concrete, like an example of how leaders would actually do that with their team?
1: Yeah, most important thing here is that the human fabric in any organization, any team, Any ecosystem is the most important one. When you align people to an outcome or a purpose, they'll figure out all the techniques that are necessary to do it. Sometimes they'll pull off magic when they are called to action. That's the reason to focus on what I call the mindset. And what does that mean? It, of course, means that you're creating clarity in vision. You're articulating that well to everybody around you. Or you have somebody who's doing that on your behalf. It doesn't always have to be the leader who comes up with the vision. But focusing on clarity and making sure everyone understands what the situation is, why something is being done, that engages them mentally and spiritually. Now, they're focused on that destination everyone needs to reach. And they'll figure out ways, both in terms of the things that they need to use to get there, and also in terms of their own effort capital, and their own engagement on it. And once you get an aligned set of people going, that's what a team is all about, isn't it? And then once you have a team that's aligned, that is focused on getting to that destination, nothing's impossible. You can achieve anything that you want. So it's think of it as the, call it the, In an interesting way, the software aspect of the organization that you need to properly seed and get going. So what does this look like? Clearly articulating, listening, debating, inclusion of all the ideas in the ecosystem, respecting that diversity of thought and philosophy that comes in, taking all of that, being pure to that outcome that you want to achieve, uh, achieve. And making sure that uh, everyone has a common understanding, an aligned purpose, and an urgency for action. That's what mindset is about.
0: And so if you're doing this, if you're going about, like, let's say that there's someone listening, their team is not really aligned. They're like, this makes perfect sense. And they're going to go try to, to do this, right? Be clear about their vision, articulate, align but let's say, um, what are some of the common mistakes or issues that they might run into when doing this?
1: There are many that happen, right? Everybody in the team or the organization, depending on on what size of transformation you're trying to run, there are always those that get excited first and they're willing to jump in sometimes ahead of you. These folks are already in the next chapter, even before you have started to articulate what that next chapter is. And then there are those that come in at a pace that's a little lower. They are the ones that say, "Okay, explain that to me. Help me understand it. Help me get excited about it." And you need to engage with them and give them so. And there are some people who are going to start late. They don't believe it. They 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 don't uh, they don't understand why something needs to change or happen, right? So the most important thing here is to understand different people in the organization are at different places at the beginning of any transformation and what you have to do is to make sure you cater the message to each individual or each subgroup to ensure that you're bringing all of them along trying to do a one-size-fits-all having one town hall and announcing a transformation is not going to cut it you do have to engage more personally and you have to ensure that it's a two-way street you don't know all the answers either You discover it as a part uh, of that journey as you go through
0: it. One of the mistakes that I made early on as a leader was, you know, you mentioned those three different groups of people um, about people, you know, early adopters, super excited, people that want to hear more, and then the people that don't believe it. At first, I thought I could get rid of the people that don't believe it, but you can't. They're just like, it's a type of person, you get a team together and there always will be somebody you know like that. So the mistake I was making for a while was thinking that I could stack a team to where they were all just like early adopters and loving it. But that doesn't work well either because you need a diversity of, of people on how they think and how they work as well.
1: Exactly. Look, inclusion actually means creating that psychological safety where everyone can engage on their terms. Part of what I take as a challenge is when somebody is not coming along, I take it as a uh, 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 some work that I have to do to make sure I'm explaining it better. Like If the transformation is absolutely worth it, everyone will get excited when they fully understand it.
0: I want to talk, you said earlier, um, you were talking about how to pick the right technology. There's a, there's a process for this. I want to hear it. I want it.
1: <laughs> yeah. We follow a very method, methodical process to uh, assess technology. In short, I can call it something like COWS, C-O-W-S. That's easy to remember. It's a four-letter acronym, C-O-W-S. So what does that stand for? Uh, C stands for criteria. Imagine you're doing all of this analysis in a spreadsheet. Think of that criteria as the rows in your spreadsheet. And O stands for options. Options are the columns in your spreadsheet. So what's criteria? Criteria is the basis on which you're evaluating anything. In this case, the technology that you're trying to bring in to the organization or build in the organization sometimes. The options are, it could be that we build it, in the company because it's a part of the core of what the company is doing. A second option could be that there is an open source ecosystem that you can actually adopt and integrate into your ecosystem. The third one may be that there is a piece of software in the industry that you can buy from a vendor and use it. Or maybe there is a SaaS solution. These are options. So criteria, options. That's easy. Now, all criteria are not equal. Uh, they have different weights. That's what W is all about. It's about making sure you put weights on each one of those criteria and ensure that not only do you have all the criteria, but you have the weights for each criteria. So you have your rows, you have your columns. So what's what's in the sets that make up the table? It's the score. That's the S. Criteria, options, weights, and scores. Right? So you take every criteria and for each criteria, you score every option and you make sure that the total of all scores you give for all the options is let's call it a hundred you have to allocate hundred across those four now you have a sheet at the bottom of the sheet just do wait time score for every option so what you end up with is a mathematical score i agree that it's not a hundred percent objective But it comes pretty close. It's explainable. It's mathematical, it's methodical. And uh, doing so clearly distinguishes the options. Now you have, what's the top option? What is the next option? What is the third option and so on? Somebody may come in later and say, wait, look, you you missed a criteria. No problem. Let's add the criteria and do the evaluation again. Somebody may come in and go, you missed an option. No big deal. Add the option. Recompute the whole thing. And three years after you pick the solution and put a solution, somebody may come back in and say, you know, context has changed. Technologies have changed. Our scale has changed. We need to relocate it. No problem. Go through the exercise again and figure out how to do that. So that's the framework that um, I've used uh, for making the right kind of choice on what path we take. Not just from a technology perspective, but in general, any anything. It's uh, It could be, like I said, a, a library, a tool, a platform, uh, a cloud service, whatever it may be. And that makes it objective. It makes it explainable. It makes it something that people can look at, reason with, interrogate, and
0: align with. Can you use it for your spouse? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm sure you may be able to, though I've, I can't say that I've, uh, I've done that.
0: I would get in trouble. I would get in like big, big trouble if I made a spreadsheet. I've used it
1: for hiring,
0: Joel. Um, oh. So like it's not it's not quite
1: exactly uh, all science. But when I've gone through many candidates for a senior role that I'm hiring, I do have a spreadsheet. I have a criteria based on which I did the selection. And I have scores on them.
0: Now, is this something that you learned or something that you created?
1: I, I'm, look, um, uh, most of the things that um, I have picked up over time, I've learned somewhere. Uh, some of it may be a variation of I, what I learned. Um, you know, uh, the best ideas come from a small variation on an already existing idea. So I, I would say it's probably something I picked up along the way. I'm also aware of ways you can do Monte Carlo simulations and so on. But that's too complicated for people to understand and align to. So I simplified and this makes it much easier.
0: I love it. I'll remember that too. Cows. That's great. So I want to know, I want to talk a little bit about developing a pipeline of leadership, um, developing pipeline in general. I mean, hiring is something, there's so many open technology jobs. It's so incredibly competitive. When you're hiring and bringing someone onto your team, what are you looking for?
1: Number one is competency. That's always the most important thing that you want. Together, what you're trying to do is to create value. You want to put outcomes out. You want to make progress. You want to make progress for your customer, for your company, for yourself, for the organization, and so on. Right. So how do I think of competency? I think of competency in three ways. One is substance. Substance is you, uh, through the conversation and through other evaluations, you get to understand, do they understand the area they're going to work in? And that may be, when I say area, it's not just about the particular piece that they're going to work on, but they have to understand the broader context in which they are. That is the business, the market, the industry. And then it has to be the set of technologies that they're going to work on as well. Then finally, they need to know how to work within the company, uh, within a team, and, and so on. So I look for substance as number one. Substance is just the the breadth of their holistic knowledge, if you will. Second is depth. Uh, depth is like, can they can they dive as far down as needed uh, to get things done? And this is about not just being very shallow and at, at, at a high level where you can speak the words but not necessarily do things. Uh, depth is um, you get very quickly to when you're discussing a subject or debating a subject, you can see, you can double-click and triple-click and quadruple-click and the person is still with you in the conversation. That's when you know that they have depth. One of the common things I do is I ask people, okay, look, um, let's take the most basic of things that happens that most of us have been using for more than two decades now and walk me through what happens when somebody types in a URL in a browser. Mm -hmm. And the, the simplest of answers you get is you get a page. And the most sophisticated of answers starts with, what happens first is that my browser is going to check to see if I have connectivity. That could be over Wi-Fi or a wired network. Then I typed in a URL and it makes a DNS request. And then they go on from there to all the way up to server and so on. So that's depth, understanding substance and depth. Third is actually very important for me and that's hunger. You may have substance, you may have depth, you may have all the knowledge, you may have what it takes from an ingredients perspective, but if you don't have the energy to pursue it, if you don't have the hunger to pursue it, then all of that is not very useful. So substance, depth, and hunger is how I think of in terms of competence. Uh, competence.
0: How do you determine hunger like in an interview process?
1: You know uh, the the energy in the conversation, or through anecdotes. Um, the best way is uh, not necessarily to get to this uh, specifics. Sometimes there is a section to cover the specifics, but um, you can you can see uh, through uh, stories they share with you of episodes in their career. Um, I ask them for tell me about the biggest crisis that you dealt with. I sometimes ask people about. Walk me through a career crisis you had. Um, I said, what is the biggest mistake you made from a technical perspective? And uh, the responses to those often bring out the aspect of uh, hunger uh, to me. But, you know, competency is only one thing. It's not just about having highly skilled people in our workforce. We need them to work as a team. We need them to understand that we are here for a mission that we are going to accomplish together, right? So it's important to have the attitude of customer first, company second, organization third, individual fourth. And unless we all keep that order, we'll all head in different directions and create entropy. You don't want that. Um, so the right kind of attitudes and behaviors that make somebody a good team player, that's going to be very important as well. Um, those are the two things primarily, that, that competence and that that combination of things that makes them a great uh, team player, uh, those, those are the main two things that I look for uh, in somebody I'm trying to hire. Building a pipeline is a continuous job. It's not something that you do once. Uh, you're networking on a continuous basis. You're engaging with colleges on a continuous basis. Uh, you take uh, every professional conversation or every networking conversation you have as an opportunity to eventually hire. And you go everywhere around the globe and make sure that one you're you're selling the story of what your purpose and your company is all about you're getting people excited to join the journey with you and when they it doesn't stop there you recruit people every day after they join the company so they can continue to build uh, great things uh, for the customer a great career at the company and thrive for the long term with the company
0: and so, what's the what's the big mission? What's the exciting journey at PayPal?
1: Look, we are here to democratize financial services. Um, what today's uh, ecosystem that we have still excludes 1.8 billion people in the world from being able to move and manage money. That puts them at a the disadvantage. Uh, and we we've seen with um, our customers many times that uh, sometimes to send money back home to their family. They have to travel halfway across town into this one store that may be able to send money to their one location that they're from. That's lost wages for them. Uh, That's lost opportunity for them. Or many that don't have uh, a a credit or a debit card and therefore sometimes can't participate in online shopping. And due to that, not being able to get the best value or deal and paying higher, from their hard-earned money, which is very, very valuable to them. There are many different circumstances where today's financial ecosystem does not include everyone. And what we want to be able to do over time is to democratize that and making make sure that uh, we create equal access for it around the globe. We do a lot in terms of connecting small merchants around the world, sell to every consumer in the world. And we make every consumer have access to many, many merchants around the world, creating an unlimited shelf of goods for them. And that bringing together of consumers and merchants, hundreds of millions of consumers on one hand, tens of millions of merchants on the other hand, that ecosystem is what we're building. That ecosystem is uh, what we continue to thrive in. And there is so much more to do. Address digital literacy over time make sure digital inclusion actually becomes a key part uh, of what this is continuously. And at the same time, build a very secure, stable, scaled, and speedy service for our customers around the world.
0: Last time we talked, you brought up the curiosity quotient, grit, IQ, and EQ. I was hoping you could explain a couple of those to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, when I'm in mentoring conversations or I'm actually with new college grads that just joined the company or any other forum, people ask, like, hey, is there a recipe for success? And I tell them, no, look, it's, uh, it's a journey that everyone goes on. It's unique to us and such. But I've seen certain ingredients play a role in those that are successful. When I observe them, I see some common factors that play out. Um, and number one is IQ. That's that competence piece that I mentioned with you. It's about a person's skills, a person's ability to, uh, through knowledge, go and solve something. That's IQ. But IQ actually has become commodity over time. College education is more accessible today than it has ever been. Online education has taken its shape in a way that's extremely compelling. So people can actually go learn and build the skill fairly easily. So what then distinguishes people that have success. The second part is emotional quotient or EQ. When I talk to you about like being a part of an organization or being a part of a team or being a part of a mission, emotional quotient, your ability to work with everybody else around you and thrive as a team is is extremely important. And there are ingredients to that, but I'll not go into the depth of EQ today. CQ is a force multiplier. It's called curiosity quotient. And curiosity quotient is one where you're a continuous learner. You're always a student. You're trying to figure out more about the business, about the world, about people, about technology, about problem statements, and it just drives you. It's um, it's like this, probably like that nitro engine on the car. Uh, it just uh, t- accelerates you in ways that you can't even imagine. And curiosity quotient is extremely critical. I particularly talk about this to people of all places in their tenure and career. Um, if you continuously learn, If you continuously figure out new opportunities and new ways of solving, there is no end to it. There is no glass ceiling. There is nothing called potential. That itself is a variable line and you'll keep going. And the last thing that uh, I mentioned in there is the one about grit. Very well laid plans will often get disrupted. There are often situations where you're hit and you get, uh, uh, you, 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 you may even fall. You, it may be a career crisis. It may be a project failure. Uh, it may be somebody who's not taking to you well. Whatever it may be, there are situations where you're, you're down on the ground. And in those moments, you have to dust yourself off, get back up, and continue to run again. Building that mental attitude, that mental strength To take things that didn't go like the way you expected, or sometimes just came from left field, but not skipping a beat and keeping going, that's what grit and tenacity is about. It's willpower. It's staying energy. Now, those are for those situations where you need a bit of a turnaround in in your uh, career situation. That combination of intelligence quotient, emotional quotient, curiosity quotient, supported by a foundation of grit or tenacity i think that uh, is what i've seen as a common set of traits uh, in people that succeed
0: um, so okay so i've got just i've got a personal question i want to throw in there too so you've given us a number of these great frameworks like cows and how you're making decisions and iq eq curiosity quotient how do you get these or how- they're, they're so well-formed and well-articulated. They're super polished. There's no ums, <laughs> right? Like, how do you think out these thoughts and these concepts? Do you schedule time for yourself to sort of meditate on these and think about them? Are they developed over the course of years? Help me understand that.
1: Multiple things there, Joel. Uh, part of this is, uh, these are not just ideas. These are actually methods that I apply and practice on a day-to-day basis. Therefore, I get to speak about it very regularly, share it with uh, other people. Um, when some of them were first built, they were not things that were fully formed. Um, and uh, people's input over time have not only made it more clear, but have made me more confident in what these things are. Uh, that is how I've gone about it. It's evolved over a period of time. That's said, I do set some time aside every Saturday night. Uh, which is both reflection and education time. And that gives me the ability either to reflect back on something that happened the previous week um, or before even. Sometimes I get to reflect on things that are conceptual. Um, I use mind maps. I use concept maps. uh, And using those, I synthesize ideas into something that's compact and explainable which people can understand quickly and therefore can start to implement as well. I still have many people who come back to me years after I've uh, shared something with them and go, you know what? I was in situation X. I applied this thing you told me and it worked brilliantly. Thank you. And by the way, that's not just a great thing for them. It's feedback for me to say, that was good. It worked. Uh, that, that's how I go about these frameworks.
0: And then do you have a framework for build versus buy?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. As a company and as an individual in technology over time, I've thought about things in uh, a certain framework that I apply again, uh, not to overuse the word framework. Core context and commodity. Take anything that you're going to do in terms of building a solution and ask yourself the question, is this core to what you do as a business? For example, PayPal is a fintech company. Uh, That's in the business of democratizing financial services. So if you take things like identity, payments, risk, compliance, things of that nature, that is core to who we are. And building is the right thing to do, particularly at our scale, that is extremely important to do, that's core. On the other hand, if you go to the other extreme, are we going to go build a payroll system at the company today, any company for that matter? No. Right? Um, are you going to go build collaboration tools like either the Google Suite or the Microsoft Suite? No. Are you going to go build rebuild email systems? You're not. Are you going to go build an operating system for us? No. Those are things that I call commodity. Commodity is an area uh, of uh, uh, providing technologies where It is used by any industry, any company around the world. It's been well done already, and it is much smarter for us to go pick up the number one solution out there in the market and start to leverage that, right? So, that's core, build, commodity, buy. But there's something in between, and that's called context. Context is a place where... You have the expertise for something within the company, but you may not have all the resources required to build it. And so you bring in somebody to help you build it with your ideas. Or sometimes you have to build it because your scale is unique to yourself. Your circumstances are unique to yourself, but you have to insource the ideas from some experts on the outside. That's context. That's where you partner. That's where you collaborate. Sometimes with academia, sometimes with the rest of the industry, Sometimes even with your own competition to create a standard uh, for, let's say, internet standards or payment standards and things of that nature. So that's core context and commodity. When you take all of the technology you have at a company and you start to put it in the right place, you also start to realize you might have been building something that is commodity today. You should consider a switch. Or you may be buying something that's core for you you may want to reconsider and actually build it in the way that's right. So that's a framework that I use for making the choice on build versus buy versus everything in between. Of course, there's this this amazing domain in between, which is open source. A group of very passionate developers across the world who are building software because that's their passion. That's their method of expression. And open source has become uh, another uh, area of great, Software becoming available uh, for the whole world to use, and we interact a lot with open source as well. Uh, but core context commodity still stands. Whether we leverage open source or not is a uh, somewhat orthogonal to it.
0: No, thank you for sharing. I do have one more question about um, Saturday night education and reflection time. Is were you doing that in your twenties, or is that something you started later in life?
1: I started it much later. I think I was probably. Early 30s, when I started to do that, um, I started to recognize that uh, I'm not waiting to summarize my week. Um, I was also uh, interacting with people more. Here's a, a fun thought I'll share with you uh, that happens. Uh, most of my apologies go out on Monday morning uh, because of two things. One, because I reflect on Saturday and there are sometimes I recognize that I was not the best I could be or I made a mistake, or I said something that might have hurt somebody, or that might have led them down the wrong direction. Recognizing that mistake, uh, accepting it, uh, and actually going and addressing it makes you a better human and a better leader in the long term. Those are the kinds of people that people want to work with. Um, So I use reflection time for that as well. And each time you recognize a pattern in something, You want to figure out how you invest in self development to make sure it stops from happening again uh, as well. Um, But started in my uh, 30s, um, been doing it for more than 15 years uh, now, um, and I value and cherish that time. Uh, One, because it makes um, for fodder for self development. Uh, On the other hand, it uh, gives me time to pick up new trends, pick up new technologies, pick up new paradigms, pick up new business models. Uh, pick up new things that are happening around uh, the world in innovation and so on, um, and it's uh, it's one I safeguard uh, very dearly.
0: Man, you've got me excited! I've got goosebumps over here. I feel motivated. I want to go accomplish something. <laughs> I love it when I love talking with you, Shree. This is fantastic.
1: Yeah, thank you, Joel. I, likewise, I know this is the second time we are speaking with each other. You just make it extremely comfortable with. Uh,